Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to the January Donor Pick, mini-sode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me is my friend and co-host who hopefully won't be turning into a prawn anytime soon, Aaron White. Hey man. Hey man. Was that you trying to be a South African? No, maybe. <laughs> Stick to it's your... better than trying my prawn speech, okay? I can't believe you actually just I said I was gonna. I no, I'm not turning into a prawn. Do your do your King Kong, your Major Kong impression. That's better. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> they have to go listen to that episode if they want to hear my awesome uh, Major TJ King Kong. That's right. Impression. Aaron brings out the impressions, which is a rare yeah. thing because usually I'm the one that does that. But that's right. Anyway, that that's Doctor Strange Love. This month, our Patreon subscribers have spoken, and we get the privilege to talk through Neil Blomkamp's. Feature film debut, District 9. But before we get into that, as we always do, we remind you that we are always spoiler-filled, so enter at your own risk. If you haven't seen the film yet, go see it. It's amazing, as you'll undoubtedly find out as we go through this. Uh, You have been warned. So that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Aaron, why don't you give me a little bit of feedback on uh, your history with the movie and uh, your thoughts, initial thoughts on the uh, the recent viewing for the podcast. All right. Well, we are, we've started this new thing recently uh, brought on by yourself, this wonderful idea um, called the one word takeaway. We've been doing that on our main episodes for the last few. And I really like it. I think it's a great way to start a podcast off, kind of bookends our episodes with our connecting point, at least our full episodes. And uh, yeah, not this one. So don't get your hopes up, listeners. But anyway, <laughs> the uh, the one word takeaway is just a great way to sum up kind of what we walked out of that viewing feeling. So I'm going to say both of mine before when I first saw this and now it's the same the same word for me. And that word is fresh and not fresh in that like fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of way, but fresh as in unique <laughs> And original. So every once in a great while, and honestly, perhaps only a couple of times every decade, is that rare film that comes completely out of left field, has original ideas, and reminds us of how unique and special movies can be. And that is how I felt about District 9. It was not something I was ready for or prepared for or had any idea that I was going to see. And it's the thing that has made me so completely enamored with all of Neil Blomkamp's work. And I know, know that you will echo this when you talk later too, but everything he does comes from that place of unique, interesting ideas. And there aren't a lot of filmmakers out there that can do that. There just, there just aren't. And it's especially not in sci-fi. So in sci-fi, there's so many movies that are just rehashes of other ones. And this was different. This most viewing, this most uh, recent viewing for me was just, it was really great. Most of my memories were around the emotional aspects of this story. Um, Vikas helping Christopher the prawn and his son escape 
you know, while obviously working to cure himself. Those are the things I remembered most. But this time, which is weird because I'm watching it on a smaller screen here at home versus the big screen in the movie theater, I really noticed the visuals. And that might have something to do with me focusing on them more as I've watched Neil Blomkamp's short films lately. I don't know the reason, but I noticed them and I loved them. The the visuals are incredible. The action scenes we're going to talk about later. I love them. And the filmmaking style for me really, really stood out. The way in which this movie uses documentary and kind of war footage-esque. And it's just, it's awesome. I really, really love it. And I'm so glad that the listeners chose this one. Yeah, I am too. And the one word takeaway that, that I could use to sum this up is selfish. And that sounds negative, but what's interesting is that the first time I saw this, I watched it with my dad. I remember specifically, this was probably uh, my wife and I, we've lived in our home for almost nine years now. So I remember watching this in our living room fairly soon after we moved in, my dad came over and I think we were just kind of hanging out, having pizza. And I was like, Hey, I rented this movie district nine. I've heard it's got aliens in it. And uh, let's check this out. And I remember finishing it and going, what did I just watch? That was pretty amazing. And come to find out that Neil Blomkamp tends to, at least his two big feature films, his first two, really were allegorical social commentaries on things inspired by like apartheid and social injustice and things like that. But like you, the story felt very refreshing. And what I dig about it is the fact that you you have a story that centers around aliens and because it's not typical, Blomkamp kind of plays in this sandbox of creating perspective from probably three to four different groups of people. And in some way, whether it's good or bad, each one of these groups of people is very selfish. You have the aliens who are trying to survive and eventually get home, uh, you know, Christopher specifically. But these other prawns are just trying to survive. And then you have the Nigerians who are out to get the weaponry from the aliens. And they're trying to do whatever they can to uh, maybe, I guess, uh, in, graft them their blood to, to an alien so that they can handle the alien technology. You've got the, and you've got the, the military, the government, who is doing experiments on these aliens to try to find out more about how they can uh, better their technology, you know, better the world around them, the military world around them. And so on this viewing, that's what I really picked up on this idea of there's a, there's a bit of selfish acts going on for all these different people and for different reasons altogether. Um, and when I, when I see that it puts district nine in a place of more social commentary equally as much as entertainment. And to me, that puts it up on a higher pedestal. Um, Blomkamp, as, as you've mentioned, is, is a favorite director of mine because I think what he does is he packs a lot of solid ideas into a story. Chappie, which is not real well received. I know you and I both enjoyed it, had some of those elements as well. But I think District 9 of the three feature films that he's made outside of, um, outside of his own short film studio, Oats, uh, is probably his most complete and his most solid. It's one that I would pick up again and again and go back to because I find more and more that I get from it and more and more that I'm entertained by. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And the other one that we haven't mentioned the name of is Elysium. Mm -hmm. um, having, and that stars Matt Damon. 
and Charlito Copley, who plays Christopher, or I mean, plays uh, Vicus in this one and plays Chappie. And Chappie, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a constant collaborator with Neil Blomkamp. Um, he plays the villain in Elysium. And, you know, it's a movie that I actually am hoping to revisit soon because it also has some really great ideas and concepts with, you know, Matt Damon trying to, he becomes molded into this mecha version of a man. And then he's trying to get off planet to this space station where they can make everybody better, but they just let everybody die. Who's on earth while they, these elites live in luxury out in space and carry on and have an immortality type situation. So it conceptually, man, he just, his mind is so brilliant and it, you're right. It is, I think a hundred percent realized in this or realized the best in this film and the tightest. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned is the way in which he tells his story using that documentary slash war film style. I, I really picked up on that as well from the very beginning. I know that they were, and that didn't really leave throughout the movie. Cause as we got into more first person, like motion picture styles, there were still callbacks to that when we were in a building and we caught a camera angle from like a parking lot, security cam, that kind of thing. So Blomkamp keeps us in this world as if it were actually happening, as if we were um, really revisiting an event that actually happened. And I love that he does it in a way that's very subtle where he calls back uh, to, like even near the end, he kind of bookends it with these little interviews that he's been uh, giving at the very beginning with these other, uh, with these other people. And he finishes it off by talking about, you know, here's where we are now. Uh, we have the aliens still living in, you know, district 10 and we wonder what's going to happen to, uh, you know, we wonder what happened to, to Vicus, but having that documentary style puts a personal touch on it. And it, it really helps establish what would be a tough sell, which is a, a realistic world of Johannesburg. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this visually and I'm seeing some of these exterior shots and there's always the mothership in the background. You know, it's not, it's not prominent. It's just there. And it just reminds me that if I was living in Joburg, this would just be a thing. This would just be a normal part of the everyday life for folks living in Joburg. That's one of the coolest things is watching people just kind of going about their business and not noticing it. When as a yeah. viewer, it's always in your mind. Like you're always like, there's a, there's, I almost want to point at people and be like, do you guys know there's a big ship in the sky, like behind you? But you know, you're right. Like it's become a way of life for them. Right. And it's even normal. It, well, it is that normality is is really just intriguing to me because we get about what maybe ten minutes into the movie, and and Vikas is talking to the to these to these aliens, getting ready to evict them, you know, handing them eviction notices, and he's talking to them as if he hear as if he understands them, and I'm like, how do you understand this language? And then I'm thinking, well, that's just one of the many things that Blomkamp just lets us assume is that this is they've been around for a long time, and so they've just learn to speak to us, us, the, the humans and the humans have learned to understand them. And so to see how the adaptation of aliens to human life around them and humans to alien life, how he creates a kind of a weird common place experience with this abnormality, because obviously you're, if there are aliens living among us, this is not the kind of 
this is not the kind of environment or this kind of arena that we'd be working in. We'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And what he does is he says, okay, we're going to fast forward from those initial discoveries and like, who are these aliens? And we're going to kind of, <laughs> we're going to move into what essentially is a callback to the apartheid, which is yeah. aliens are more of a burden than a fascination at this point. And, you know, that's a fresh idea to me. And that's, that's a big appeal for me. Oh, incredibly so. And like you're saying with the the filmmaking style, it's, to me, it is, it's very much what you, what you were describing in that it is a grounded nature to it. And it feels like I'm on the ground uh, many times, you know, I, I, in a documentary, you almost can get like a first person view from the camera. And despite the fact that we're not, we're not always in that view, it sometimes feels like we're the cameraman, uh, especially in those scenes where Vikas is walking through and the camera's on him from our perspective as if we were the cameraman. Right. right. And, and that really is immersive. It just, it just pulls you right into that world. Um, it, it's, it's, and the thing about it is it shifts seamlessly. So it starts with the interviews and the documentary type historical footage. I, by the way, one of the things that stood out to me, I loved how they made this kind of just quick reference to the fact that to everyone's surprise, the ship landed over Johannesburg instead of Washington, D.C. or New York. And just <laughs> the idea that, yeah, you know what? That would be surprising, actually, if that happened. We would all expect it to be a major, you know, powerful city. And that would be weird. Um, but it switch, it goes from that style. And then as he gets into the um, area and he's doing the interviews and doing the evictions, we've got this, you know, inter we've got that camera on him from our perspective until he ends up on his own. And it's like this, this shift that you don't even notice to where now you're in an actual movie that's moving forward without interjection right and then you go through this section of his experience and then at the end it kind of comes back full circle to oh yeah we remember we were telling you this story in past tense but it was kind of like almost like hey we're gonna show it to you dream style um or flashback style it was i just i think it was incredibly well made and you know i don't know that i've ever seen anything that even tried to do that before other than this movie well and you have a director who not only wants to give us entertainment but wants to plug ideas now whether or not he's creating solutions in those ideas at the very least he is giving us the opportunity to to ask questions and the biggest takeaway that i took from this movie the first time and now and i think the most obvious one is this irony of aliens <laughs> literal aliens from other another planet being treated as less than human. And so we're, we're at a point in the story of these, these creatures living among the folks in Johannesburg and they are really being mistreated. They're, they're now a burden. They're really kind of a, kind of a liability. Uh, the movie talks about how they're going to be moving from the slums to what uh what what Vikas eventually calls more like concentration camps and that's the first real ideological twist because i've never experienced a movie where over the course of a film i began to dislike my own race <laughs> and the human race and a lot of times i mean 
mean, it's a lot. I think it's intentional for sure. Um, not that we have, you know, you know, outworldly aliens living among us, but there's this idea that he, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like Dr. Strangelove. It's somewhat satirical by using entertainment and some humor here and there to really kind of educate his audience on the fact that this might, there might be some truth to what's going on here in the real world. And to me, I think it's very digestible. I think it's easy to, uh, to, to absorb that and be both entertained and educated, which is, which is a really nice thing in a, in a movie like this. Yeah, I do too. And I think it would be hard not to walk away with that perspective. So this most recent viewing I watched with my kids who are Mm -hmm. 14 and almost 13. And I asked them that at the end, I said, you know, what did you, what did you think of this? And how did you feel about the way that the prawns were being treated by the world, you know, and they said, well, it was unfair. And I think Ashlyn might've even used the word injustice, which I was like, Mm -hmm. Hey, that's exactly what it is. Um, and it's, you're right because we've seen plenty of alien films where we may have a human, a human character that is a villain or that we dislike or is treating aliens poorly, but it's never the majority of the race. And that's part of what makes Vikas's transformation to me powerful, right? Is that we see him and he is, he's, he's us. Okay. Because he is, he is a subtle racist. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't mean that I'm a subtle racist. Let me, <laughs> but <laughs> there are so many of us, meaning people, humans that have these things kind of ingrained in us that we very likely could react this way without necessarily thinking about it too hard. And right. he says, he, he does these things, right? Like he just casually unplugs all of these eggs and says, here, that's a souvenir from your first abortion. Completely joking about it. But at the same time, like moments later, he's upset that they're shooting at the prawns because he doesn't want them to hurt them. It's like this complete confliction within him where he truly doesn't see that as anything that's wrong. But obviously he wouldn't do that to humans. Um, And so that to me is an it really helps with his arc so that he, he doesn't just, there's no, there's no switch that's flipped in this movie, right? Where Vegas is like, Oh, now I'm on the prawn side. He's not necessarily, we don't even, he doesn't ever do things solely for the prawns. And up until his moment of sacrificial kind of heroism. And it takes him a while to get there. And I think, that's awesome. And I, the, the, the way that the prawns are shown to us and they're not all, they're not all wonderful either. And that, that's what I think makes this even more different because what Blomkamp is doing is he's not giving us an alien race and saying, Oh, here's the perfect alien race that is all perfect and all, and you, and there are, there's injustice for all of them. We see the prawns that are, you know, going to be the lawbreakers or going to not follow rules or Mm -hmm. things like that. So we don't, we see good prawns, Christopher, and we see bad prawns and they, we see prawns that are that stereotype that the humans think of them as stupid. But then we see Christopher who shows that, Hey, guess what? 
some of them can be incredibly smart too. And there's, so it's, it's a, it's a great um, comparison, I guess, against our own human race in that there are all kinds of prawns, just like there are all kinds of humans. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think if we were to be given a full, like objective vantage point of all this, I'm sure that there would be a documentary on the other side of it from the prawn side of point of view where you'd have, you'd have one prawn who's like, subtly racist a lot like uh like Bikas is and what's interesting about him is that you if you you compare him to i don't remember the the head military guy's name um but the the main military baddie and you have these two people between him and this other guy and you have subtle racism and you have downright hatred like this guy just and he comes out and says i hate all prawns and when he's, I guess it's when he's about ready to shoot Christopher, he's like, I have no, I've, I just want to do this. I'm going to go ahead and care of this. Or whenever Christopher doesn't answer his questions, he's like, just shoot him. Like he has no, he has no um, sympathy at all for this race of people. And, and, and Vikas, what he does is it's only when like the subtlety of his racism, he may be unaware of it. It may just be, this is who I am and and I don't see anything wrong with it, but it's only when he begins to be grafted with the alien tech, when he starts morphing that he starts understanding, Oh wow, he's now an outsider. He's now an outcast. And so, I mean, I guess the irony or the, the, the interesting thing about that is it took him becoming an alien to become really more human. Ooh, I like and, that. That's, and that should be a tagline. It probably is somewhere. I may have stolen it like subconsciously, but he is, that's what I think makes his character the most interesting is because it feels like a natural progression of him understanding what it means to understand another race. Yes, literally because he became that other race. But what I like is that he didn't morph completely until after he allowed Christopher to escape. So he was still human. He was still probably 70, 30 human to prawn by the end of the film. And then we find out, you know, I don't know when a a certain time later he's gone through his full uh, alien metamorphosis. But that's what I think is great. I'm glad that Blomkamp didn't transform him completely because it showed me that the human side of him is the one that was making that choice. It wasn't the alien side that was causing him to be sacrificial. He saw Christopher as a father. He saw Christopher as valuable who is valuable to someone else in form of his son. And he's like, I want you to get your son away. I want, I want to get you to your son so you guys can escape. And I love the fact that Christopher, as he was leaving says, I promise I'll return in three years. And that gave me hope. I don't want to see a sequel. I don't want to see a district nine part two and see the return of Christopher. But I think for me that that left me with really good satisfaction knowing that at least for those two individuals, there was some, mutual understanding of two races at, in that one point. Um, so I, I thought it was pretty, I, was th- I thought that was really great. I want to see the prawn army come liberate <laughs> district 10. You know that this is the 10th year, 10th anniversary coming up. So if, if district 10 does not get announced soon, I'm going to be upset. It's probably uh, going to be the new Cloverfield movie. That's what it is. It's, it's gonna be district <laughs> every, at this point, everything is the new Cloverfield movie and it's going to come out <laughs> on 
serial television in NBC or something. Yeah. Oh, right. that is such a nightmare going on right now. But <laughs> no, I, I agree. I don't, I don't want to see a sequel either. I think this movie is perfect the way it is. And I think that a lot of times you can retroactively kind of take away some of that power by making a sequel uh, that gives you answers to those questions but that I would rather ponder or make up my own to. Or one of the, one of those, um, ponder. that's, that's pretty right. good. That was pretty good. Um, <laughs> one of the, the emotional things for me in this one um, was really just that that moment when Vikas turns. And to me, it's when it happens is when he is weapon testing. Because we see I, this is and this also is the probably definitive acting scene in Charlotte Copley's career for me. It, you just see him going from scared and confused and resistant to downright just terror. And un, un, he completely can't control his emotions as they're forcing him to murder a prawn. And he's like, you know, he, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Why, why are we killing him? Um, and that's when I think he starts to realize, you know, what, what he has done and be I think I feel like in that moment he is also understanding what he has been in the past like thinking back to that abortion scene and how flippant he was about it about it to the babies I think he's noticing I think he's remembering that in those moments he's understanding what it's like to be now pulling the trigger and not and not being forced and in a way he's kind of been conditioned to also been having somebody else pull the trigger using him in the past now they're just doing it directly but it is a it is a powerful scene to me, um, and it's amazing because it is equally emotionally powerful as it is really really cool because you're seeing all these different unique weapons, and that's one of the the the, the amazing things about District Nine to me is we don't get to have a ton of explanation about all these different weapons. But we see a whole lot of different style of weapons in brief uses. I mean, we see electricity guns. We see taser-like bolts. We see energy bursts that blow people up. We see normal bullets. We see one that does like a force push and pull gravity type gun, like a portal gun type thing. Um, we see one that freezes bullets in the air and then slams them back, you know, magnetism style or something i mean it is and there's a mech there's a freaking mech in this movie like patrick i lost my crap when i saw the mech for some reason i'd forgotten the mech okay like i said about how i really remembered this as an emotional story i had forgotten about the mech and so when it happened i was just giddy all over again and the fact that it catches a rocket he catches I a mean, rocket he freaking I mean, catches a rocket yes and he just was, snatches it just it, caught it catches it Done. I'm done. You're oh, not gonna, you're not gonna shoot that down. That's it's like great. stand up and like uh fist pump cheer in the movie theater type moment. It, it really is. And you you hit on something that I think is common among Blomkamp's movies, and that's his love of technology. Whether it's where it's whether it's mechanical or weapons or um just the future in general. I think what I enjoy most about Blomkamp from a technical standpoint is how imaginative he is with the worlds that he builds. 
Um, and just to stick within District 9, I mean, I could talk about Elysium and Chappie and even some of his Oates short films that that I've really started to enjoy. But he knows how to build a world. He knows how to create a world that is believable and magnificent both at the same time. And the technology of the prawns, particularly the weapons and the way in which only they can fire them, I think that's a fantastic concept. It reminded me a lot of the drift in terms of you know cool sci-fi ideas that we have a, another, again, another fresh, unique idea of, oh, you know what? You can't fire this unless you are you know, ingratiated with this alien biology. And then we have the Nigerians who are trying to get as close as they can by eating the flesh of dead prawns, which is gross and disgusting. Just, yes. But then we get, uh, then, but then also we realistic get, and a callback to their roots, to be honest, yeah, to yeah. some of the witch doctor type style roots of those tribes in Africa. Right. So I, I, mean, I like that. Right. So we have, we have so much going on here in this world building that it opens it up for just kind of wondering more about the backstory behind a lot of these people groups, you know, the military and the Nigerians and, and the, you know, the MNU, you know, just all of these, all these different conglomerate groups that are existing, including the aliens, it makes you want to know more about them. And so I think what, what Blomkamp does so well is he just drops you right into the middle of it, gives you a great story and then leaves you going, that was great. I don't want a sequel, but I kind of want to know more because there's just a lot going on here. And I think that he, to me, I think that he has a great balance of using his visual effects and the technology in his movies with the story. Like they enhance the story instead of being visual eye candy. Right. Um, to call back to Michael Bay, I think Michael Bay, what he does is he overuses his ability to create visuals where I think Blomkamp is saying, let's use this here to elevate this important part of the story, as opposed to saying, this would look cool. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And I think that's why I'm enjoying his stories a lot more because that's what they are for first and foremost, their stories. And then as a secondary feature, they're also visually cool to look at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's what makes it, that's what rises it to greatness is that combination because there's plenty of amazing science fiction movies that we both love that are very visually stunning, mm -hmm. but have a weak story or don't have the character moments to carry that through and make it it's something special. And then there's conversely ones that do some really good character type stuff or have a good story, but don't have any sort of interesting visual nature or technology to them. Um, and so it's, it's that blending of the two, man, the, the prawn designs. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the prawn. Oh, well, first of all, did you know Neil Blomkamp was in this movie, by the way? I did not know. He is for like half a second. You get like almost his whole face on screen. When they are in the van and they are tracking Vikas down and they found him, uh, there is a man that is turned to and quickly spouts off a couple of coordinates of where Vikas is at the moment. And that is Mr. Neil Blomkamp himself in a cameo. All right. Well, way to insert yourself. That's a cameo in a vameo. Vaneo. Never mind. I'm sorry. Okay. That was bad. Um, <laughs> all right. So I wanted to mention a couple things. One is uh, Jason Cope is the actor who portrayed Christopher Johnson. I thought he was phenomenal. I don't know how this performance was done. Actually, I don't know if it was mocap 
Um, I didn't do enough research or if it was some sort of bodysuit type thing that he's wearing. I find it hard to believe that it would have been. But it's an incredible performance. The way that the prawns move and, talk, and walk and act, I think, is is unique. And it's really something to be to be noticed and and respected, I think. Um, he also performs the role of Gray Bradnam, uh, who is the the chief correspondent for the United uh, whatever it is, UKNR. And he's all of the speaking aliens, and he's the cameraman Trent. So this was a this was a super tight crew that Neil was working with, right? Like you didn't yeah. you didn't just get one job. Like you're the you're the primary alien, it, it, one of the main protagonists in the movie, and like you have to do five other roles too because you know to earn your paycheck. But the thing about it is, for me, I thought the design was just incredible, and it it is one of the most unique alien designs I've ever seen. And I wanted, I wanted to go over a little bit of history. Um, Blomkamp actually wanted the aliens to maintain both humanistic and barbaric features. And according to Terry Tatchell, who was his writing partner and also his wife, can't imagine how that would go. Honey, I don't really like that line. Neil, you're sleeping on the couch. Um, <laughs> but according to her, she said, they are not appealing and they are not cute. Although I would beg to differ. Christopher's son is extremely cute. And they don't tug at our heartstrings naturally. She said he went for a scary, hard warrior looking alien, which is more of a challenge. The look of the alien with its exoskeleton crustacean hybrid and the crab like shell was actually meant to evoke a sense of disgust from viewers. But as the story progresses, the audiences were meant to sympathize with them because they had human like emotions and characteristics. Um, Initially, Blomkamp wanted the species to be insect-like, but also bipedal. And he wanted the audience to relate and said that he eventually had so many restrictions due to creature design that they had to be humanesque because our physiology and psychology – or sorry, our psychology doesn't allow us to empathize with something unless it has a face and an anthropomorphic shape. Like he said, like if you see something that's four legged, you think it's a dog. That's just how we're wired. If you make a film about an alien force, which is the oppressor or the aggressor, and you don't want to empathize with them, you can go to town. You can make them look however you want. But creatively, I want to do something else story wise. So I thought that was fascinating. Just the the level of thought process that goes into just designing the alien. And intentionally doing so with the idea of empathy, evoking an unconscious, subconscious, empathetic reaction in us is amazing. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's really genius stuff. Well, it's purposeful. And, and that, speaks to, that, speaks, that speaks to the importance of, of Blomkamp's vision in this movie is that he had a purpose for the aliens. They weren't, the, they weren't just the targets of racism. We needed to be able to feel some kind of empathy for them and you give them a, I mean, he's absolutely right. If these creatures didn't have faces or I, you know, the semblance of eyes or some kind of things, we wouldn't be able to connect with them as it stands. They didn't emote anything. I mean, that's, there's, there's just, there's no facial expression. There's just eyes and that's it. And yet when we see Christopher and how he moves and how he looks left and right or how he slowly kind of moves his body when we see his son curl up next to him we get that 
we get the movements because as fathers, as people, we connect with those things. And I think it's incredibly smart to be able to connect us. It's a, it's a signal system. It's essentially a way to say, Hey, that's a callback to what I understand sympathy is. And he's exactly right. Having them biped bipedal instead of, instead of four-legged is one thing that I think is, is incredibly important. And it's what made them just as appealing and it helped sell his story. Yep. I agree. Um, a couple other notes on that, that I didn't know are that he actually originally was going to have Weta design the creatures who is famous for its work on Lord of the Rings with Peter Jackson. There's actually a Peter Jackson, uh, Neil Blomkamp connection that I may mention. Uh, but he, so Weta was busy doing Avatar for James Cameron. So Neil decided to use a Vancouver-based effects company, which is now where he resides and where Oates Studios is based out of, because he anticipated making films there in the future. And because also British Columbia offers a tax credit. <laughs> so he, he met with Image Engine, and he said he considered them a bit of a gamble since the company had not pursued a project as large as a, as large as a feature film before. Um, and aside from the aliens appearing on the operating table in the medical lab, all of them were created using CGI visual effects. Uh, Weta did design the mothership and the dropship. Uh, the exosuit and the little pets that they had, they were designed by the Embassy Visual Effects Studio. And I just, I think that's really cool stuff. Um, the, the other part of that Neil Blomkamp, Peter Jackson, uh, combo here. So the way this all worked out is Peter Jackson co-produced district nine because Neil Blomkamp was originally. So what happened is Neil Blomkamp did a series of, I think three live action short films in the halo universe. They were called landfall. Peter Jackson at the time was attached to produce the new Halo live action movie that has supposedly been a thing in for like 12 or 13 years. It's one of those production hell never got off the ground, but at the time, yeah, at the time, like Jackson tagged Neil Blomkamp and brought him on to direct the Halo movie. Um, and he was using those, those short films to, to promote Halo three, the video game at the time. Eventually the Halo film fell apart and, Peter Jackson was like, no, I still like your stuff. And you've got this original idea for district nine, which was based on one of Neil's short films. And so that's how Peter Jackson became his producer. And they kind of teamed up. And I just, I love that. I love stories like that of how talented people with pull who've made it help others who are talented and kind of bring them on in Hollywood. There's so much negativity in Hollywood that we hear, right? There's so much crap that we know about. And for these cool stories where Peter Jackson essentially gave Neil his shot and brought him into the public eye. That's amazing. I, I love it. And I love both of those guys. I love both of their work. I'm kind of sad. Actually, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very, I'm very sad. I would, I would flip out and be so over the moon. If Neil Blomkamp made a halo movie, I think that would be incredible. I also think his alien movie would have been incredible and, I know he's bummed that he's not getting to make it. And I am too. Yeah. But at the same token, I'm, I'm glad that he's shifting his attention to Oat studios because there's a lot of really great stuff coming out of there. 
I have become a big fan of the th- now three episode series Adam. Uh, a lot of his short films are being done in Unity. And um, if you guys aren't familiar with that, it's a 3D software that um, my job and the people that I work with, they're heavily involved with. And it's incredible because, again, he's using technology to support a good story because the story is what's appealing. And the fact that he's using this technology to help tell it is pretty fantastic. But uh, like you said, I'm glad Peter Jackson brought him in because we wouldn't have probably gotten to see District 9 and then the subsequent films that he's put out and then eventually the short films. So. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate you. And Neil, glad we've gotten a chance to get to know your filmography. Did you know that District 9 won the Best Adaptive Screenplay? Well, I didn't win. I'm sorry. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay in 2009. Was it adapted from a short film? What was the adaptation from? Uh, His short film. Yeah. Okay. So so he he did a short film before this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Because I think Chappie was a short film as well that he made into a feature. Uh, wouldn't be surprised because he is a yeah. short film crazy guy. He loves them, and I have I have come to love them. Like you were talking about, we highly recommend any everyone who has any interest in this movie or Neil Blomkamp's work at all, or any just thinky heady sci fi slash horror stuff. Go check out Oats. Just spend an evening watching through all of them. They're they're mm-hmm. amazing. It's it's incredible work. Um, they're all slightly different. And unique, and this Adam stuff that he's got going on right now is—it's it's wonderful. And there's there's a behind the scenes short too that helps explain some of it and talks about shows how some of it was made in Unity and with CGI or mocap type stuff. I'm and I'm really intrigued to see where that story goes. To be mm-hmm. honest, I'm, I'm kind of blown away that there's as much of a story there in three four minute long clips as there is. He's He's a special writer, man. Um, and, and this movie was the one that introduced us all to that and, and showed that to the world. Very grateful for that. I'm also grateful for you in this discussion. I think this was a fantastic minisode. Again, to our patrons who voted for this, thank you for voting it up. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we enjoyed it. Aaron, where can people get in touch with you on the social media realm? Well, I can always be found online everywhere by tapping in Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. You can find my Twitter and find me on Facebook. It's Instagram, all that good stuff. And I'm also very active in our Facebook group, which is where we like to tell you all to come join because it's getting bigger and more active. And there's just great movie chat going on all the time there. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. We also would love to ask you to check out our Patreon site, Patreon slash Patreon.com slash Film. It's because of Patreon that we're able to do some of the things we do to upgrade our mics and to have better quality and to be able to take the time to see the movies and do the things that we cover uh, as much as we try to do. So um, our supporters are amazing. We're so grateful for them. They really keep us going, and it's because of them that we – we're able to do District 9. Who knows when we would have gotten around to this one otherwise. So thank you again to our amazing supporters. And if you do go check out that Patreon page, you will find another surprise because right after this episode, Patrick and I are going to record a bonus episode that is only for those Patreon supporters. And that is going to be our top five movie aliens. So you'll have to come check that one out to find out if the prawn makes the cut for either one of us. You can actually become a supporter at a level of, I think, $2 a month or or more. 
anywhere. The $2 one is the lowest and get access to all of our bonus content, uh, both in the past and in the future. So we'd love for you to check that out. Patrick, where can they find you? I'm usually floating around Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S. P-A-T-C-H. If you want to engage in conversation with me, just go ahead and at me. That's the best way that you can find me uh, and able to uh, get into that conversation about this movie or other movies that we've covered or other movies that you've seen. And uh, if you want to find out more about the show, you can always check out feelingfilm.com where we have all of our podcasts, uh, content, minisodes, episodes, uh, guest spots that we have on other podcasts, as well as some really good written content from Aaron and our other contributors as well. Uh, next up is our final Kubrick month episode and that's full metal jacket. That's coming up in a few days. I'm excited to talk about this. I have not seen it. This will be a first time watch for me. So anytime it's first time for either one of us, I know that's always going to be a good conversation. Aaron, thanks for the conversation. And as always stay positive and keep feeling filled.